Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. <laughs> Good afternoon, Joe. We are recording today's episode on Thursday, the 6th of August. And our discussion today is going to be one of trying to make sense of some quite contradictory pieces of information that have emerged over the past week. And I feel myself rather taken back to my career as an undergraduate historian, where my senior tutor, giving advice to one of my fellow students, said, you should try not to think in black and white. Be a bit more like Joe. She's always baffled. And I think that was meant to be a compliment, um, but it doesn't feel like a very comfortable place to, to be. But I think that's where we are going to be for this this episode, I'm afraid. So earlier today, the Bank of England released their Monetary Policy Committee MPC minutes and update the outlook for the economy. And there we've got some pessimism on the longer term um, recovery. So we're kind of slightly starting to move away from this deep V-shape that they've championed in the past. But they are more bullish about the scale of the short-term economic decline. So looking at the the GDP um, decline over the year, um, they've kind of revised that slightly upwards. And then to add to this picture of contrast, we've got the PMI, the Purchasing Managers Index figures for July, which seem to be a little bit more um, confident than they have been in previous months. But then on the other hand, the stats about the number of businesses taking loans um, is is quite high, eye-raisingly so. And the MPC are stating that business investment has fallen markedly in Q2 and intentions to invest remain very weak. So that that looking at that that business loan piece, um, that almost looks like working capital um, money rather than investment money, perhaps. And then we've got data from the coronavirus job retention scheme, which is pointing to a number of employees on furlough rising 100,000 this week, which is shocking. I mean, Nick, you're going to unpick that properly because we, we can't really get our heads around what's going to that on, on with that. Um, and the increase, if you look over the period, so that's at the end of May, there were 8.7 million um, on furlough. And at the end of July, that's gone to 9.6 million. Now, that could be double counting. We're not saying that those are individuals because often people can have more than one job and be on furlough from, from both of those. But it's a kind of funny backward looking picture given that we were expecting as businesses were opening up we were expecting to see fewer people on on um, on furlough so nick where, where should we where should we start with this with all this myriad of, of information yes i mean i mean going back to your <clears throat> your worry about the confusing contradictory um, um picture i was thinking about this uh, last night and i was wondering whether it was um you know maybe a case of the uh, you know it's the equivalent of the the COVID economic uh, um, version of always darkest before dawn. Um, and, and maybe what we're looking at here is always foggiest before the mist clears. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. We'll cut, we'll, let's, let's end uh, with the Bank of England forecasts because the only thing they do is make me angry and I don't want to start angry. We'll, we'll, we'll work up to that. <laughs> okay. um, uh, you talked about the PMI, the Purchase Managers Index figures, which showed um, actually struck me as remarkable positivity for both manufacturing, where the index has gone from 50 in June to 53.3 in July, and f- to my taste, um, also oddly, services is even better than manufacturing. The index says 56.5 against 47.1 mm. in June. Um, But what I really wanted to say about that is what everybody needs to remember is that's got nothing to do with real numbers. That is an index of the confidence 
about growth of purchasing yeah. managers. So it's very subjective. It's not been a bad And guys. it's forward-looking as well, isn't it? So it's not yes, saying, it well, this is what's, what our experience is in July. It's thinking about what we think about the future is going to be Yes, like, where, where, where are we going? Yeah. I mean, I, I, my guess is it's good news, but I don't quite know whether there's an awful lot of whistling in the dark going on mm. here. But we'll see. We'll see where that yeah. where that index goes. Um, you also mentioned the, um, the figure for businesses which have taken up loans under the various government COVID-19 support schemes, you know, um, bounce back loans, et cetera. And the number is 1.2 million. 1.2 million businesses have taken loans. I would be so much happier if it said 1.2 million have taken up grants, because yes. I think everybody knows from this, from all these many episodes of this podcast, what I think about businesses uh, with Business uncertainty is the only thing they're certain about taking mm. more money that they've got to repay. We've got to repay, yeah. Repay. And even though there's a, a year, one year payment holiday, as we've seen throughout this this period, the time goes very quickly. You know, didn't didn't June seem like a long way away in in March, and didn't September seem like a long way away in June? And you know, suddenly we're staring um, staring at these these dates. I know, I know. And and my my only thing, you know, thought about that is. That's 1.2 million companies with loans they didn't have before this thing started at a time when their businesses have been devastated or certainly impacted one way or another. And and, and again, my overall thought about that is that's an awful lot of risk and it's Mm. an awful lot of businesses at risk, even if I take the point that uh, there is some anecdotal evidence that some businesses are taking loans that they don't actually think they need as an insurance policy in case things get worse. Yes, yeah. um, uh, however, I do have that um, awful nagging sensation that uh, some of this money may actually burn a hole in them. Um, well, that's the problem if it's there, pockets. if it's sitting in an account, you know, it's, unless it's being ring-fenced and, and very clearly managed. Yeah. But um, we well, know that as well, you know, with, with smaller businesses, especially on the bounce-back loans, often you yeah. have people using their own personal accounts as business accounts. So there's that, that very kind of murky... Um, line between personal and business finance at the smaller end. So yes, and I can tell you as an ex-insolvency practitioner that um, when the going gets tough, um, the money, generally speaking, gets going too. <laughs> um, but and, and it and it disappears through some very interesting channels out of businesses. Um, I have to tell you, um, mm. you very kindly said you thought I could unpick what on earth is going on <laughs> with the furlough scheme numbers. <laughs> Um, you know, because it, it makes no apparent sense that at this stage, um, where businesses are looking at beginning to have to, to contribute more towards or something, or, or yeah. if they're already paying the twenty percent, they're going to be paying twenty five percent in in August, and so so it ratchets up. Um, why would they be going up now um, when we've had uh, it's um, over a month? It's five weeks since. Non-essential sh- retailers right. opened, yeah, um, and uh, and it's also a month since pubs and restaurants opened. So, why are more people on furlough? I honestly don't know. Unless it's possible that in the hospitality, retail, travel, travel particularly mm. um, area, uh, businesses having now experienced what is happening after they reopened, are refurloughing some of the staff they brought back. Possible. And there's also the flexible furlough, isn't there? So you could mm. have perhaps you know more 
people at work and on furlough at the same time. So maybe there is some oh. double counting somewhere. But it, but it is very. Um, and we were looking at the the MPC minutes as well and trying to unpick mm. this. And I'm afraid that that didn't make much more sense either. Really, did it to us? There's a paragraph in there that I read three times this morning after they published it, and. I think if I were an economics uh, tutor at your old university, I would have been telling them to go away and try again. <laughs> I, it, it made actually yeah. no sense at all. And again, doesn't appear to be in contact with reality. Um, this whole thing about staffing, it's interesting. The, the Bank of England is, or the MPC, is, is actually quite bullish about employment suddenly, um, at least if you can call predicting a 7.5% um, unemployment rate uh, as, a, as a peak as being bullish. But um, the OBR scenarios didn't look anything, none of it, I don't think even the upside one looked looked um, at a figure as low as 7, 7.5% as a... No, I think it was closer to 10%. I think it was close to 10%. OBR. But but you know, and I just read that, and I know you shouldn't snapshot these things, and you shouldn't react to the moment in time, but... Uh, you know, at the risk of being repetitive, let me run you through, let me run everybody through the announcements of job cuts this week so far. And we're, 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 this is Thursday afternoon. Yeah. WH Smith, 1500. M&Co, the value retailer, 400. Weatherspoons, eek, 130 yeah. head office jobs. Pizza Express, 1100. Poor old Hayes Travel, who rode to the rescue of Thomas Cook, 900. Dixon's Carphone, 800, and DW Sports, which is the sportswear and the gym uh, business, mm-hmm. 1,700. It's an awful lot. Right, you know, and of course, we're coming up to, you know, we're, we're now into the time when the furlough scheme begins to wind down, however slow the first month is. Of course, this is the point where people are, you know, are looking at their business and saying, I think before we start contributing towards keeping these keeping people on furlough, I think the time has come to adjust yeah. the workforce. And and um, as as we discussed before we started uh, recording, there's a very interesting little snippet in the MPC report referring to the fact that one of the things that's come out of the coronavirus is that more and more employers are finally twigging the fact that they can probably run their businesses with fewer people. Mm. Yeah, that is quite a notable um, section in there, isn't it? So the productivity yeah. improvements from utilising yeah. fewer employees. But, but if you look at you know that that litany of of disaster in, in, in and they're all consumer facing businesses I've just listed. Um, but if you look at the retail footfall figures for July, there's nothing surprising about um, about those those numbers. I mean, but nobody thought footfall would recover quickly. At least only the, the complete galloping optimists um the retail you know it, it, those footfall figures tell a story of um things i mean let's give you an example overall footfall is down 47.2 percent on on across retail as a whole compared to a year ago and that's the, the those are the july figures are they the july figures 47.2 yeah. percent mm-hmm. um but it's down 42 percent in shopping centres, yeah, um, much better in retail parks, out-of-town retail parks. It's down twenty percent. So that's actually uh, that's that's relatively positive, isn't it? In the context, everybody thought that would be the case. People just feel happier about driving because there's no public yeah. transport involved. Yeah, 
Um, and and typically parts, the stores are very large, aren't they? The retail they're very large and, they're, much and they're, larger. they're well spaced, lots of open space in the middle where the car yeah. parts are, except generally speaking. Mm. Um, but the one, of course, that again, no surprise, but where the real problems are emerging in central London, footfall is down 69%. <gasps> because, of course, it's the most dependent place in the country on tourists and office workers. Mm. And public transport, of course. You know, you and of course, to, everybody uses public transport. transport. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, and, and I, I told you a story um, earlier in the week, which continues to amaze me. Um, wonderful snippet on my Twitter feed um, from one of my retail pundit mates, who's, who was telling the story of the most recent extension to a particular shopping centre, which will remain nameless, Mm. where every single one of the retailers, the tenants in there, was either already in an insolvency process or was considering one. So all of the retailers in that particular bit of the shopping centre, which of course would have been, you know, it's the newest bit of the shopping centre, so it would be the most attractive bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and they're all, and, and, and all, all of their insolvencies are entirely down to trying to cut rents. Mm. And of course, we know, I mean, again, we, we mentioned earlier on about um, September looming large. And of course, September is the time at which, at the moment, the that, landlords. That landlords ban being able to enforce their, um, their debts. That that will that will cease in September. I mean, I wonder whether actually, given the given the the figures that you've just you just mentioned, that may be extended again. I think the <clears> the Insolvency <throat> Act gave the powers for um, the Secretary of State, State to, to be able to extend those. I know. So it's hardly surprising. You know, we've lost into you know the the most fragile of the of the major retail landlords, Hammerson, the second most fragile. This morning confirmed it's raising eight hundred and fifty-two million pounds wow. to bolster its balance sheet, which is two hundred and seventy-four million in asset sales and the rest in new in new shares. Wow! So blimey, yeah, um, not good. I mean, maybe the trouble is, you know, I'm a retail pundit through and through and through, and seem to spend a lot of a lot of my time, my spare time, and my not so spare money um, in the hospitality sector. So maybe mm-hmm. I'm just too pessimistic and, and about those, but those are the most high-profile sectors, and they really don't look pretty. Yeah, the figures don't look don't look good at all, do they? So yeah. let's come back to the Bank of England mm. um, update on its um, uh, its outlook for the economy. And here we are. This is this is a forecast from what used to be when I was a lad mm-hmm. um, the most cautious of all our financial institutions you know as strong as the bank of england and all this nonsense here we have a forecast which is much more positive than the one they did at the beginning of the pandemic talking about a 14 percent drop in 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 gdp this year now they're saying 9.5 percent um the unemployment figures are very different in in this one but as you pointed out what they're saying is not quite so bad this year, but the recovery will take longer. Yeah, they're saying, is it not to pre-COVID levels until the end of 2021? 2021. Yeah, great. I mean, they're entitled to their view, and I'm sure they've got some of the finest brain, brains on um, on the planet looking at this. Um, I, I might question the quality of their data, but that's another matter. Mm. You know, I'm a cynic about official economic data, Um um, hidden away down the back of this thing, it said there are two key assumptions. One, the continued easing of the national lockdown. 
Interesting. And, so, and social distancing measures as well. And social there. distancing measures. Uh, um, no. No. I, I don't think so, but okay. They're entitled to view. At least, at least they admit that thing. The thing that is mind-blowing is it also says... Um, it refers to the to the the assumption is the smooth transition to a new EU trading agreement from the start of 2021. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think you you ran through the document and and Brexit is referred to precisely twice. Yeah. In page after page of impenetrable detail, it's just there twice. Now, what it's, it's, it, the thing that, that struck me was that the. MPC, they weren't really even associating themselves with concerns about uncertainties about the, the exit of the no. EU. It was about their, their contracts were concerned about uncertainties um, yes. surrounding um, Brexit and the and disruption that could cause. And I think we, we talked about this, this earlier, whatever the political views are, the fact that there is there's public statements by numerous government ministers saying, well, you know, no deal is better than a bad deal type um, statement. The fact that there, there seems to be no... Um, provision for this no deal scenario in the forecast, and even if they didn't want to make them public, which I could understand, but, but you see hope that they might. <laughs> but you see, they're following the OBR's lead because the OBR said this has got nothing. You know, yeah. This Brexit aren't in our numbers, so yeah. the Bank of England has been consistent with the OBR, which is which is good. But I mean, Brexit in economic forecasting terms has become the risk that dare not speak its name. It's just astonishing. And um, the only reference to any downside here is there is a reference in the document which says any risks are skewed strongly on the downside. Why would it? Why would a risk? Yeah. I suppose you could have an upside risk, upside risk. De- derail. Mm. Anyway, but no, let's ignore that. Um, and it's and it's quite interesting. Perhaps you know the, the last thing before I, I I get any more cross and angry about this. I actually called out the Bank of England on Twitter this morning. I was so angry after I read the document, and 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 listening to the the media accepting these numbers as the gospel truth and the way we were heading, and oh, there wasn't going to be this awful recession that I actually called out the Bank of England on Twitter and said, why the sunny uplands? Mm. You know, why aren't you, you know, what? and I listed these two key um, assumptions and, and just said, it's happy pill time at the Bank of yeah. England again. I haven't had a response from them. Goodness me, I'm far too far below the salt <laughs> to, uh, to, get a, to get a reply. But another friend of mine, wise, wise uh, man, came back and said, and, and referred me to the, a well-publicised campaign coming out in number 10 to replace senior civil servants with people more of their liking. Mm. And, um, and and he said very simply, he said, speaking truth unto power is not welcomed right now. And you well, do that's, wonder, you do wonder, you wonder you? what's going on. And particularly as, again, this document uh, from, from the Bank of England refers endlessly to their central projection, which tells me that they have other projections, but mm. we mere mortals are not. Well you saved me a job this morning. We were we were having a discussion this morning on email and I was just my next job was about to go through and work out what the downside prediction was. And you said, well there, there isn't one. It doesn't tell one. you. It doesn't tell you what it is. No, no, no. Um, they, they talk about central projection. They obviously have done other ones. You mm. know, I'm I'm trying very hard not to be too rude because Goodness knows who can forecast anything in this. Of course, yeah. yeah. In, in this in this scenario, um, we're all learning day by day. But you know, to, to publish something so 
rampantly not based on two potential outcomes yeah seems to me to be irresponsible especially when we we know we're how long five months out from um mm. from leaving the i mean i know we've already left the eu but actually leaving that transition um period, period. i think yeah i mean it, it does it, the mind boggles doesn't it um so those, really. are, those are my thoughts joe I'm, I'm a little bit uh a little bit sort of um uh pessimistic again um maybe we're wrong maybe maybe we're not getting what some other people are getting that there are good things happening but i'm not seeing it it just seems it does seem hard doesn't it? i think that there is i mean we we talked about um <coughs> next week i think it's the 12th of august isn't it the the june mm. gdp figures uh, are out um and that might give us a little bit of a clearer picture and maybe put some of this bank of england analysis into context you know one would hope that they might may have talked to the um ONS who are gathering the the data but you know that may be an assumption too far and I, I suppose you know it, it just trying to bring all these this, this bits of uncertainty together I think from the start of our podcast um career and it's always been a guiding principle of the way we've worked at company watch is that for the majority of our clients people who use our services understanding the individual company risk is the most important thing so of course you need to understand the wider context and how macroeconomic change might have an impact on individual businesses but really kind of getting to grips with the individual kind of financial dynamics of the companies you're dealing with is um is the most important thing and then you know again applying your knowledge of the of these the dynamics the way the businesses operate in that context and the modeling scenarios is really the way um that i think most people are going to get the the view of their own risks and their exposure to to risks in this in this time because otherwise i think we do have this it's tempting to either be on the really cheery optimistic andy haldane um side of the world where you think well actually everything will be fine or the deep pessimism and i feel like we we sometimes we sometimes read these figures and and end up on the pessimistic side but i do think there is a balance to be struck and if you can apply you know to actually take some some real facts apply some scenarios do a few few tests you can actually add rigor to your risk process and as we've said there will be winners and losers won't there and it won't be it's not as simple as saying if it's a travel business you know all hope is lost there will be some 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 businesses that come out of this whether the storm and do well from it and it's just just understanding how you identify those um and, and that is looking at the numbers isn't it really and we need numbers yes. we need facts we do um so yeah i think we'll um we'll certainly look to see what the um the next week next week brings to see if there's any more certainty the mpc is predicting a rise of nine percent gdp in june compared to may and that was a 1.8 percent increase on april so let's see what actually the the figures bring us um we'll try and record next week and and bring some more analysis to to what's going on we might have some more more furlough data more spend data by then um so thank you very much nick as always it's been a pleasure to talk thank you everybody for for listening and until next time goodbye (laughs) 